Thank you very much, our loving Heavenly Father, that you do indeed speak to us in your scriptures. The words of Jesus here are heavy and difficult, so please, by your spirit, shine brightly in our minds and hearts so that we can understand what you would have us do and how we should follow you this year on campus. Amen. Yeah, Jesus certainly is entertaining here, isn't he? Gouge out your eye, chop off your hand, let your bullies beat you up, and uh, if you call someone a fool, you're going to hell. <laughs> is Jesus serious? And to sum it all up, what does he say at the end? Just be perfect. Yeah, just be perfect. Now tell me what you, you would think if you're walking down the main street of Wagga and there's a bit of a crowd milling around and you're curious and you want to get a bit closer and you get close enough to hear this guy say, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. Okay, what would you be thinking? You'd be, <laughs> you'd be thinking, whoa, like, just relax, mate. Um, take a breath. And, you know, I'd, I'd be out of there pretty quickly. It would sound crazy for someone to be saying that. Um, but oddly, when Jesus says it, people pay attention. Lots of people pay attention. And people find it compelling when Jesus says it. Now, do they take him literally? I don't know of many people who've been walking around just with one eye and one hand. Well, hands up, who wants to take Jesus literally here? No one. Or I see one right hand raised. That's the hand that you'll lose, Ali, if you take it literally, the right one. How do we make sense of what Jesus says here? At the very least, we have to see that Jesus is um, teaching us how to be his disciples, his students. A lot of you are students, and uh, Jesus is teaching his students how to know, live, and speak the gospel. This particularly, this is how to live the gospel. And Jesus says that living the gospel means wholehearted obedience to Jesus. Wholehearted obedience to Jesus. So, uh, to understand how we might live the gospel on campus, well, we're going to try and lock in some key concepts and then we'll uh, work our way through the... Um, well, Jesus revises the Old Testament law here and teaches us what true righteousness is. So we'll see, I, I hope, that when we live in wholehearted obedience to Jesus, then we'll be living the good life in his kingdom. And uh, Josie's got on the screen for you, she's got the outline that we'll be following. So we'll start at point one, the fulfilment of the Old Testament. Now this is where we need to, uh, to lock in some, some key concepts that will really act as keys to unlock what Jesus says in chapter five. And the, the, uh, the foundational thing that you need to understand is that Jesus is claiming that he isn't tossing out the Old Testament. No, he is completing the Old Testament. He's completing it. Verse 17, this is what he means. Verse 17, Jesus says, Don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. So Jesus doesn't want to ditch the Old Testament. He wants to fulfill or, or complete the Old Testament. What on earth does this mean? Well, uh, have you ever fulfilled something? A lot of you have fulfilled your lifelong dreams of coming to study at CSU. <laughs> well, some of you maybe have. And uh, just, just like you've accomplished that desire, 
so too Jesus has come to accomplish everything that the, the law and the prophets, the Old Testament, came to accomplish everything that they promised about what would be good in God's world. Or perhaps when you finish your course, you will have fulfilled all of the requirements of your degree. You'll have completed your course. Likewise, Jesus has come to complete everything that the Old Testament law and prophets have promised, have hoped for, have dreamed of. Jesus is claiming that he fulfills, he completes the Old Testament. So Jesus is bringing to completion all that God has started from ancient times. Now often Christians will ignore the Old Testament. We think it's too weird, or it's too hard, or it really has nothing to do with my life at all anyway. But Jesus is saying here that the Old Testament has everything to do with our lives, because the Old Testament has everything to do with him. Which is why in our Bible studies this semester we'll be doing an Old Testament overview to get a handle on the Old Testament and see how it all points towards and is completed by Jesus. So Jesus is saying that the Old Testament, it's super important. Look at verse 18. Jesus says, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law, until all things are accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. The Old Testament is important. And here is our foundational concept. It's uh, fulfilled, it's completed in Jesus. All that God began to do in the Old Testament is completed in the Lord Jesus. So Jesus is going to teach us what to do with the Old Testament and he's going to teach us how to be righteous. The Old Testament law is um, designed to produce righteousness. Righteousness is doing the right thing in God's kingdom. And the Old Testament law is designed to teach you how to do the right thing in God's kingdom. And uh, so to set up this concept, Jesus takes these, this group of people who are the most righteous in their society. And uh, Jesus points to them and he says, you've got to be more right than them. He does it, verse 20. Jesus says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Now this would sound, I think, in the ancient world, it would sound like Jesus is saying something like, Unless your ATAR surpasses that of the vet students, you'll never get into my degree. These are the, the extra super righteous people, but their righteousness it is not good enough to get into God's kingdom. Jesus is not trying to lock people out of the kingdom. What he's actually going to do is show us what true righteousness looks like. And it looks like wholehearted obedience to King Jesus. Not just um, outward obedience or a show of obedience. No, wholehearted obedience to King Jesus. So Jesus is going to redefine righteousness by redefining the Old Testament law. And uh, he's going he's to aim the law at our hearts. So let's go to point two. We'll work our way through Jesus aiming the law at our hearts. 
Now Jesus, he's going to work through some aspects of, of the Old Testament law. He's going to show us what wholehearted obedience actually looks like. So firstly, the community of Jesus seeks um, reconciliation rather than anger. Now did you notice as we read through this passage, there's this formula here. Jesus will say, you have heard that it was said, that he'll quote an Old Testament law, and then he'll say, but I say to you, and uh, what he's doing is, is uh, tightening the screws, perhaps he's sharpening the knife, he's aiming it at our hearts. So the first law he'll quote, it's against murder. Verse 21, you've heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. Now that's a good law, I'm a fan of that law. Any other fans? Yes, it's a good law. <laughs> I've never broken that law, that's good. Now I might think that I'm fairly righteous because I have done the right thing and I have not murdered. I'm fairly righteous and a, like an upstanding citizen of God's kingdom. But I haven't understood, if I think that, that the law is aimed not so much at my action, but at my heart. So Jesus aims at the heart, verse 22. He says, but I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says, you fool, will be subject to hellfire. Jesus redefines murder as anger. Now, I haven't murdered anyone, but I have been angry. And I have said angry words to people. I've never killed anyone, but in my, in my heart, in the heat of anger, I have wished harm on people. Now, do you see how Jesus is taking the Old Testament law, but, but aiming it at our hearts, and showing us that it is about our hearts more so than about just our actions. To live the gospel on campus, it's not enough to just refrain from murder. We're to be known as people who are slow to anger, who don't speak angry words to each other. In fact, we are to be quick to seek reconciliation. Look at verse 23. Verse 23. So if you are offering your gift on the altar, oh, he's talking to first century Jews. This is what they did. Verse 23. So if you are offering your gift on the altar... And there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled with your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on the way with him to the court, or your adversary will hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the officer, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. Better to reconcile than to face the consequences of your anger. Sometimes we are rightfully angry at injustice, or if we have been hurt or wronged. But be careful that you're righteous in your anger. At some point this year, your housemates are going to make you angry. Be careful of your words, and uh, obey with your heart this command to not murder. This is true righteousness. The community of Jesus seeks reconciliation rather than anger. That's number one. Secondly, the, the community of Jesus seeks self-control rather than lust. And the second law Jesus quotes, it's a good one as well, I think. Verse 27, he 
says, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. Yes, I can get behind that law. That's a pretty good one. And Jesus is thinking adultery, he uh, is defining adultery here as a, a married person having sex with someone they're not married to. And again, I've never done that. So I might think that I'm pretty righteous. I'm an upstanding citizen. But again, Jesus aims this at our hearts. And see what he reveals, verse 28. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus redefines adultery as just looking lustfully. Now, I haven't committed adultery, but I have looked lustfully. You see how Jesus takes this command and aims it at our hearts. To leave the gospel on campus, it's not enough to just refrain from adultery. We are to be people who are known for our purity, for our self-control. Not only do we not sleep around, but, but we don't even look at porn. Our brothers and sisters can trust us, can trust our eyes, can trust our intentions. Friends, make sure that you are treating each other as brothers and sisters in all purity. Because we are told by our world that sex is free, that sex is fine, and that you deserve sexual fulfilment. But Jesus doesn't want us to compromise with our world at all. Look at verse 29. Jesus says, If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. When you look at Paul and it feels victimless, like no one is affected, doesn't it? But Jesus calls all forms of sexual exploitation, he calls them evil. If we take Jesus literally, we'd probably all be gouging our eyes out, wouldn't we? But Jesus speaks with such force here that we can't just ignore it. So at the very least, get yourselves software on your devices that filters explicit content. Or sign yourself up to Covenant Eyes software that will send a report of any dodgy websites you've been to to some trusted friends. Better to chuck your phone away than to face judgment. That would be wholehearted obedience and true righteousness. The community of Jesus seeks self-control rather than lust. Thirdly, the community of Jesus speaks truth rather than lies. Now, the command that Jesus quotes, it's about keeping oaths. Verse 33, again, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, you must not break your oath, but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. Now, we swear oaths in court. We swear oaths when you're being sworn into office. Uh, we swear oaths when we tell people how big the fish is that we caught. No, really, I swear this big. I swear it. And Jesus aims this law at our hearts, and he tells us that we shouldn't have to swear an oath to be thought of as trustworthy. So verse 37, let your yes mean yes, and your no mean no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. Just tell me honestly how big the fish is. <laughs> you shouldn't have to swear an oath for me to trust you. 
And we bend the truth all the time, don't we? We bend the truth to make ourselves look good or to avoid an awkward situation or to um, try and make others like us. But to live the gospel on campus, we are to be people who are known for speaking the truth. This is true righteousness, wholehearted obedience. The community of Jesus speaks the truth rather than lies. We'll pick up the pace a bit. Fourth, the community of Jesus seeks generosity rather than revenge. Now, the command that Jesus quotes here sounds harsh to us, um, but actually it's meant to stop people taking revenge um, that's disproportionate to the crime. Verse 38, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, it's a, it's a good law. Jesus says that's a good law, and it's meant to stop um, retribution. If you break one of my teeth, then I can break one of your teeth, but not, your whole, not, all, not all of your teeth. It's meant to keep um, punishment in proportion to the crime and stop overzealous, unproportionate revenge. And that's good. Uh, but Jesus aims this at our hearts and redefines righteousness by telling us to be generous to those who have wronged us. Verse 39, Jesus says, But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go a mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks you, and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now, I might think that since I don't take disproportionate revenge on someone, or that I'm actually righteous. But actually, I'm not at all generous to others. And Jesus redefines righteousness from the inside out here. Righteousness is generosity, especially when it is hard to be generous. And uh, indeed, this flows nicely into the, fifth, into the fifth one, where the community of Jesus is to love rather than hate. And we are to love, especially those who are hard to love. This this one, Jesus aims straight at our hearts as well. Verse 43, you've heard that it was said, love your enemy and, no, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. you see those social media posts um, telling you to cut negative people out of your life? Yeah, Jesus says, don't cut them out, but love them and pray for them and stand alongside them and plead their case before God in prayer. Because, says Jesus, it's easy to love those who love you, but it is extraordinary to love those who hate you. This is true wholehearted righteousness. And this, this I think, is the key to obeying the Old Testament law. We see it over and over again in the New Testament, but the key to obeying the Old Testament law is love. If you love, well, all the rest of the law just kind of falls into place. And this is what it means to be perfect. Verse 48, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus is, I don't think Jesus is picturing moral perfection, as though Jesus expects us to never get angry or never lust. Jesus is not an idiot. He knows that... that uh, that we will still be doing those things. We will still be lying to each other. But the vision that Jesus is selling is an, an inward love that matches your outward love. 
an inward obedience that matches your outward obedience. In other words, living the gospel is, is a matter of loving to live in the pattern of Jesus. Living the gospel is loving to live in the pattern of Jesus. Because after all, Jesus is basically just describing himself here. He is the one who has fulfilled this law. He is the one who has lived this way. When you read the biographies of Jesus, when do you find him unrighteously angry? You only find him angry at the hypocrisy of people like the Pharisees who obey outwardly, but inside they don't love God at all. When do you find Jesus looking lustfully? No, you find that he is totally trustworthy with women. When do you find Jesus lying or taking disproportionate revenge? Or when do you find Jesus hating his enemies? All you find when you read the stories of Jesus is Jesus loving his enemies. Jesus loves, look, even when you suck at living this way, Jesus still loves you. And what does the Apostle Paul say in the book of Romans? That uh, God proves his love for us in that while we were his enemies, Jesus died for us. And he opened the way into his kingdom. And it is good to live this way in his kingdom. But it's hard. Jesus knows it's hard. He's not an idiot. It's a high bar of righteousness. Jesus wants us to live up to it and to help us do so. I think it's a realistic expectation because just like the prophets promised, Jesus has given us his Holy Spirit to transform our hearts of stone and turn them to hearts of flesh, soft hearts, receptive hearts. This is what the prophets promised, the Holy Spirit given to us to make obedience possible. This is the Old Testament that Jesus fulfills. I want to say it's possible. I want to say it's hard. And I want to say it only happens by the grace of the Lord Jesus, the mercy of the Holy Spirit. So may God the Holy Spirit so work in our hearts to give us delight in God's good law. May he strengthen us for obedience to our King. And may he bless us as we strive to live the gospel on campus for his glory. Amen. Friends, it's a big chapter. There are lots of things that I haven't said. So if you've got questions, now's the time to ask them. Uh, you can stick your hand up and I'll have a go. Or you can come and talk to me afterwards. Either way. So any questions now? Nat? Um, why is it those laws that are used as examples and not others, not other laws from the Old Testament. Why does Jesus use these laws and not others? Don't know. You don't have to ask Jesus. I don't know. Uh, he doesn't give us an explanation. Perhaps they were relevant to his hearers particularly. Not sure. Good question. Sorry. Yeah. I was going to say maybe like they're like the hardest ones for us to follow. Oh. Like, um, it's really hard for not to hate people or get angry at people, so you can just fix Maybe they are the hardest ones to follow. Mm -hmm. Sound plausible? Then again, there are lots of laws about like not wearing clothing of mixed fabrics. That's pretty hard for me to follow. Isn't it? Good thought, though. They could just be the hardest ones. Yeah. Yeah, huh? Well, it, it says in 17, um, 
whoever, whoever, I mean, if the laws are not followed, there are people who call the police and people who call the rapists. Mm. That's one, one thing that Crash is saying. He then also says later on that unless your righteousness far surpasses the scribes and the Pharisees who wanted to get into heaven, how can you have somebody who is least um, worthy in heaven when they have a righteousness that's mm. Yes, good pick up. Now, so Jesus says, verse 19, that uh, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, and it sounds like he's saying, you're in the kingdom of heaven, but you're just the least. But then he'll say in the next verse that you won't even get in if you break these commands. So it sounds like Jesus is contradicting himself in the very next sentence. Um, I uh, did some reading in commentaries, and they all think, um, from uh, like the ancient commentaries, John Chrysostom, 3rd century, up to uh, one written in 2019, they all think that when Jesus says, uh, the, um, if you break one of these commands, you will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, they all say, don't think that means you get in. What Jesus actually means by that is, uh, what he says in verse 20, you won't get in. And they think that because Jesus is making a pun, two reasons. Jesus is making a pun, verse 19, whoever breaks the least of these commands will be least in the kingdom of heaven. So they think Jesus is linking those two words. But also there's, um, I think this is right, there are um, in uh, ancient documents, the way that they spoke and wrote to say things like, you're never coming to my house, is to say things like, you will be the least in my house. So um, maybe this is just Jesus speaking in first century idioms that we don't notice. It's a great pickup, and it's uh, something that Jesus does frequently through here as well, actually, isn't it? Kind of speaking at extremes, and it's really hard for us to work out. Does he mean that extreme? Because he speaks at these different extremes. And um, I think that's why uh, these chapters of Matthew are just so interesting. Do you know how many people have written books on these chapters of Matthew? Oh my goodness, they just keep coming out every year. Because what Jesus says is so interesting, because it's so polarising. But it's a good pick-up. All right, we'll go one last question. Verse 25, yeah. reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on the way with him to the court or your adversary will hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you'll be thrown into prison. I suppose then uh, your question is what happens when you're actually innocent? Is that right? I think that uh, Jesus is giving some concrete examples but uh, they don't cover every scenario. I think that you're right to notice... Um, this doesn't always fit my experience of the world. And uh, I think, am I right in saying that in this paragraph, Jesus is giving examples of you being in the wrong? 
you need to go and be reconciled. Uh, um, you've got some disagreement with your brother or sister. Uh, perhaps it's um, not necessarily you being in the wrong, but Jesus doesn't seem to be describing a scenario in, in which you are innocent and falsely accused or a scenario in which you are persecuted for righteousness. I think that's probably because he did that only a few sentences earlier, say, verse 11 of chapter 5. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Um, uh, when you are persecuted or, or perhaps accused of something negative, when all you're doing is following Jesus, Jesus says, well, that's actually a good thing. Um, when you... Uh, when you have anger in your heart and you have spoken angry words against your brother or sister, that's the bad thing. I think that's what he's talking about here. That's some good questions tonight. Um, some sharp eyes on these passages. There's lots of stuff still that we haven't covered. So uh, if you'd like to catch me afterwards, please do. But please stand. Because now we're going to sing our final song and reflect on the grace of the Lord Jesus to us.